time for the Tom Sumner Program. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show with music, comedy and special guest interviews every Monday through Friday. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint. You're very astute, Tom. Have an easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm alright, Tom. How are you? Hey, lucky day, Mr. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. Stay tuned, because it's on now. The Tom Sumner Program. COVID-19 is the biggest health crisis in our lifetime. We're working around the clock with doctors and hospitals to stop it, but we need your help. Even if you don't feel sick, you could be carrying it. And just one person with the virus can infect another 40, who then infect thousands more. So I've issued an executive order requiring everyone to stay home to help limit the spread of the virus. Let's protect the people we love. Stay home and stay safe. Hi, this is Gretchen Whitmer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody, as we roll into Hour 2 of our three-hour tour. I've been really looking forward to this. We're going to be uh, talking about when a groundbreaking female physicist uncovers the explosive potential of nuclear fission sparks fly in more ways than one in a new book, uh, a debut novel, if you will, Hannah's War, from screenwriter and award-winning director Jan Eliasberg, who joins me now by phone. Jan, welcome to the show. Following Gretchen Whitmer, that's pretty great. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you mean that woman from Michigan? (laughs) Oh, that horrible woman is making everyone wear a mask. I know, right? Um, Yeah. Jan, did I say your name right, Eliasberg? You did. You did. Good. Beautiful. I'm terrible with names, so I'm always very concerned about that. Um, Jan, I mentioned you were an award-winning director. You've uh, been involved in so many projects, um, and and you've been a screenwriter, and, and now a novel... Why the book format and not another screenplay? Um, I I have a couple of answers to that question. Um, the first is sort of practical. Um, I have written a number of, of screenplays, all with very, very strong female leads. Um, and the, the last one that I wrote uh, was about the women air service pilots in World War II, uh, just an incredible story of these unsung women who trained as military-style pilots. 36 of them died in the line of duty. Um, and even though they were trained as military, they were not treated as military, and they got no benefits, and their families got no benefits, and they weren't buried in Arlington, and people don't even know about them. And this was just a really exciting project. I had Nicole Kidman, I had Cameron Diaz attached, and everyone was really excited about the script, and no one would make the movie. 
and <laughs> <laughs> because it had women in it, and you know everybody sort of went, "Oh goodness, we haven't had a movie like that since League of Their Own," and I was like, "Yeah." League of Their Own, that was like a huge hit. Um, this is League of Their Own, but, you know, with aerobatics and and combat flying. <laughs> well, look at, look at the success of uh, Hidden Figures. Hidden Figures was another one. And so I had been working on this story about... Uh, about the woman who discovered nuclear fission, and I had been um, just learning more and more and, and discovering a great story. And I thought, if I write a screenplay and it is sitting on the shelf 10 years, five years later, I have not done justice to this extraordinary woman and her story. And so um, I... I, I also at that time had done so much research and had found so much out about Los Alamos and the decision to make the, uh, the bomb, drop the bomb, the race between the Allies and the Germans to develop the bomb, which in itself was such a ticking clock, I mean, with the, the whole world at stake. And I thought, you know, there is just so much here so many layers, and I'd come up with this sort of espionage uh, thriller um, take on it, and I, I just thought, this, I think this would really make a wonderful book, and I'd, I'd always wanted to write a book, and finally I said, okay, this is the one. How, how different and, uh, was it for you, Jan, writing a book versus a screenplay? Because, I, I mean, it's storytelling, certainly, but it, it's a... a a very different process to to write a book versus a screenplay. It it is. Um, I think that I when I write screenplays, um, I do a very strong outline first uh, because structure is everything in in a film, and surprisingly that that helped me enormously in writing the book because once I had the structure in place and didn't have to think about, you know, the story moves, it moves quickly, uh, it's got a satisfying ending, it's got all those things that you look for in a great story. And then I could relax and really start to understand the characters and live with them. And I, I remember, this is pretty funny because I, I, I was thinking, mm, I have this woman who's Hannah, who's the center of the story. She's a physicist. Um, she's guarded. She's got a lot of secrets. She's uh, one woman among a thousand men at Los Alamos. And I, I want to make her not necessarily sympathetic like you know, cute and perky, <laughs> but, but I, I, I want people to understand the situation that she's in, and all of a sudden I thought, oh my God, this is a novel. I can write in first person. I mean, I can actually be in her head and put the audience in her head and in, in certain very key moments, and it just... You know, it was like, oh, right, that's what fiction can do. Um, it was really exciting because it, it allowed me to develop things in the, 
in the in the secondary characters and some of the more interesting moments that um, I would I would have had to rush through in a screenplay um, because plot 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 you know in in a screenplay it's got to keep moving. And conversely, I, I would think that uh, certain kinds of descriptions of of place and uh, settings and and so on would have been a little bit of a challenge because you just you can't just go to an establishment shot that is true <laughs> the thing is <laughs> the thing is that i'm a director as well as a screenwriter so if i as a director need establishing shot you know uh new mexico los alamos um labs uh i know as a director I got to put a lot of stuff in front of the camera. I mean, that's a very short description, but that's a lot of work to really find out what that looks like and feels like and the juxtaposition and the colors. And so as a director, I'm definitely going to be making those decisions in my, in my head. And that process was the one I drew from to, to, to envision the scenes and um i think now if i go back to screenwriting i'm going to get a lot of complaints about overwriting the narration <laughs> <laughs> everything you write now is going to be a mini series <laughs> yeah and it's going to be at least 500 pages so. oh that's funny um but when you talk about hannah as in hannah's war the name of the book um that character is based on the life and genius of jewish austrian physicist lise meitner yes um Um, and and i've heard it described as a compelling reimagining of the race to build the atomic bomb how much of it is is reimagined and do you consider this what they call a historic novel um i consider it historical fiction um, but that is a pretty broad term. Now, um, when I read something like The English Patient, uh, that is historical. Um, but so much was changed in, in that story. Um, and so for me, what happened was I was, I was in the library. Uh, I was reading about the day we dropped the bomb on Hiroshima. And that's very timely, by the way, because that was August 6th. This was the 75th anniversary of the dropping of the bomb. And um, the New York Times had to fill in the entire world on this project that had been developed completely in secret. And some of the scientists who were working at Los Alamos did not know what they were working on. They were told they were working on submarines and all kinds of things. So it was a very highly classified project. And I came to a paragraph that said the key component that allowed the Allies to develop the bomb was brought to us by a female, air quotes here, non-Aryan physicist. And now I knew non-Aryan meant Jewish. I thought, interesting that the New York Times couldn't even use the word in 1945, but there was no name. 
And I thought this was the biggest discovery of the 20th century, splitting the atom. Who is this woman? <laughs> and, and why have I never heard of her? And so I started to dig into the historical record, and I did find this extraordinary woman, um, Dr. Lisa Meitner, who was Austrian and Jewish, as you said, and who was on the verge of splitting the atom with her longtime partner, Otto Hahn, who was German, when the Nazis came to power. And she had six hours to leave the country after being told by everyone that she was untouchable. And this story was just so compelling. But but then I got to a point once she fled to, to Sweden and once they actually had split the atom, where I realized that that discovery um, had to lead to the work on the atomic bomb. Uh, because at that point I had become fascinated by Los Alamos and how a theoretical idea in physics can become uh, a, a weapon of mass destruction which changed the world. And this idea that the Germans and the Americans were in a race, and of course the Germans would have given the bomb to Hitler. And so all the people on the American team, many of them, most of them really were emigre physicists from, from Germany and from Eastern Europe, most of them Jewish, and they were terrified uh, that Hitler was going to get it first. And so at that point, I decided I would um, move away from fiction um, and really take the story to Los Alamos to discover a lot of these other things that I had been um, researching and had been fascinated about. So the character was very much inspired by Lisa Meitner and and very much, um, I, I hope, very much becomes like Hidden Figures, a way for people to rediscover this extraordinary woman. Uh, who was denied the Nobel Prize, which she absolutely deserved, went to her partner and not to her. Um, but but I also have a, a, a larger story to tell about a scientist's obligation to their own creation and what does happen when you're working on something that's pure science and you're having, you know, a, I mean discovery is so is such an exciting thing it takes over and then you might have to stand back and say wait a minute what what have we discovered here and what are we what are they going to do with this thing um i mean the, the scientists were not really thinking very far ahead in terms of what happens when we've tested this thing and it works i, I don't think they thought it was going to be dropped on you know a million people. Jan, I um, have to put a comma here. I have a short break coming up. Can you stick around for about four minutes and we can uh, do another segment and talk some more? This is fascinating. Sure. Uh, sure. I'd be happy to. My guest is uh, Jan Eliasberg. Her new book is uh, Hannah's War, and we're going to talk some more after we let our broadcast partners squeeze a few words in. If you're streaming us, we have some messages as well. We'll be right back. Everybody's doing. 
little brand new dance now. Hi, this is Mark Farner, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Hi, I'm Dr. Jonay Caldoun. We know that COVID-19 is spreading rapidly across Michigan right now. The most important thing people can do to protect themselves is social distancing. That means unless you are a critical infrastructure worker or going out to get food or medicine for your home, you should be staying at home. Stay home, stay safe, save lives. Most of the music you hear on the Tom Sumner program is provided by local artists. Tune in Fridays at 11 for live music and conversation with some of the area's most talented singers, songwriters, and performers. Hi, this is Greg Nagy. Hey, this is Hoppa. Hi, this is Joe Bai from the Blue Lions. Hi, this is Alexander Zonjic. Hi, this is Mark Farner. This is Maurice Davis. Hi, this is Rochelle Ray. Hi there, folks. This is Sweet Willie T. This is Steve from the Nashville office. I'm Gwen Pennyman Hemphill. Tom Sumner Program, celebrating the rich talent pool from Flint, Genesee County, and throughout Michigan. Fabulous 60s, the marches, the pins, the draft card burnings, and best of all, the music. Well, now Apple House has collected the finest of those songs on one album called Golden Protest, performed by the original artists who made them famous. You'll thrill to Society's Child by Janicean, Pleasant Ballet Sunday by the Monkees, What Have They Done to the Rain by the Searchers, In the Ghetto by Elvis Presley, Silent Night, 7 O'Clock News by Simon and Garfunkel. Who can ever forget this all-time classic? Yes, it's Barry Maguire's immortal Eve of Destruction. And, of course, my own Masters of War, all for the incredibly low price of $3.95. And if you order now, you'll also receive a treasury of acid rock featuring vanilla fudge, blue chair, frigid pink, Moby Grape, the electric prunes, Jefferson Airplane, Lotharian hand people, to name but a few. Plus, as part of this special limited offer, you also get the best of the supergroups with Traffic, Cream, Blind Faith, Ginger Baker's Air Force, and many, many others. Yes, this is a collector's dream, Golden Protest, plus two fabulous 60s albums, all for only $3.95. If you were to purchase these selections separately, they'd cost you hundreds of dollars, and many cannot be found anywhere at any price. Well... It's time for my boot heels to be wandering. But here's something will tell you how you can get this amazing record package. Here's how to order this amazing record package. Just send $3.95 and check your money order plus your name and address to Apple House Box 70K South Bend, Indiana. Once again, that's $3.95 and check your money to Apple House Box 70 Do it today. Tom Sumner, program.com. 
The Tom Sumner Program.com. This is Jill Stein, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. And welcome back, everybody. Uh, my guest this hour is the author of a book uh, called Hannah's War that focuses uh, on sort of the end of World War II and the race to uh, develop the atomic bomb. Uh, she is, uh, uh, this is a debut novel for someone who is thought of as a uh, screenwriter and director. She joins me by phone, Jan Eliasberg. Jan, welcome back, and thanks for sticking around. Oh, happy to. Jan, I didn't mention in your uh, introduction some of your your credits, which mm-hmm. uh, include directing uh, Miami Vice and Wise Guy uh, in, in 13 Seasons, Why, Bull, Nashville, Parenthood, The Magicians, one of my favorites, Blue Bloods, yeah. NCIS, Los Angeles, Supernatural. That's just that's just a few plus debut films and all of that. With all of that behind you, does that carry any weight in dropping a, a new novel? Uh, not much. <laughs> uh, I mean, it carries weight in the sense that at, uh, in interviews like this. Um, there's sort of a second thing to talk about, um, but uh, they're very different worlds. I just wonder uh, if it if well, if people are more likely to return your calls. I think that look, I think people maybe took me a little more seriously, but um, but I took time off. I actually decided to write this book and. Nobody gave me money to do it. I, I called my agents uh, in L.A., and they were not happy. I said, <laughs> please turn down everything I am offered for the next year. Uh, and I hold myself up in New York City, um, and I wrote the book uh, over about nine months. And I really did. I did not take any jobs. And then uh, the book went out. And I, I have to tell you, I had, you know, my, my dream was that it would sell. Um, and it, it sold in a, in a bidding war to Little Brown, which is a, you know, phenomenal publishing house. Um, so it, 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 it paid off for me, but I did not really have any sense that it that it would i went into it thinking i i have to tell the story in the way i want to tell it and whatever happens to it is you know is out of my control um so you know it it would be much more romantic to say that everyone was begging me to write a novel because they (laughs) loved my directing and my screenwriting so much but that was not the case. Well, I, I I didn't I didn't mean that. I just I, I just I remember talking to David Baldacci, and his very yes. first uh, best-selling novel was made into a movie, Absolute Power, with Clint Eastwood yes. and uh, yes. Gene Hackman. It's one of my favorite movies. And and I asked him. I said, you know, when when that happens, your first book and it becomes a film. Does that mean people will return your calls now? And and we had a big laugh about that because you know success does sort of um, attract 
success. And but and I ask a lot of writers this, and this is going to be it's it's awkward asking you this question. Um, <laughs> would you like to see your book made into a movie? <laughs> <laughs> um, I would. You know, I tell you, I, I I'll tell you why. Um, I, I mentioned early on that I uh, adhered very much to a. a Structure when I was writing the film, and it is, and and I, I say this only because everyone in the world who's read it has said this to me. Uh, it's a it's a page turner, you know. It's it's a it's an espionage thriller story, and you literally do not know what's going to happen. I've, I've many people have have said, "Well, thanks a lot." You know, I couldn't go to sleep because I had to see how the book turned out, and I was exhausted the next day. <laughs> so, um, so, so my sense is that it could be a very good movie. Now, I don't think all books should be movies by any means, um, and I, I don't think I'm being biased about my book. If anything, I think I would be a little harder on my book than others in in really saying, does this, does this need to be a movie? Um, and, you know, I'll be, I'd, be, I'd be very happy if it's, you know, the book, and that's it. But enough interesting people have been talking to me and my agent at this point that it feels to me as if it could be a movie. It could be very, very good given the caliber of the people that are, you know, that are that are making those calls. Um, it will be strange. It's not really the way, you know. I my career. It's a very circular. Bizarre way for my career to to have uh, to be unfolding, but I don't know anything anymore, right? I mean, really, whatever happens, happens. Um, you can't control it. So, if if it's the right group of people and the right act, the right actress, very important because Hannah's just an incredible, incredible role. Um, I think it could be pretty great. Uh, just out of curiosity, um, why um, why change the names to protect the innocent here? Um, in this in this particular case, uh, Hannah's character is based on uh, Lisa Meitner, the Jewish Austrian uh, physicist. Why not make it about Lisa Meitner? Um, well, so there 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 have been biographies of Lisa Meitner, very academic ones. They're, you know, not not widely known. And um, But the main reason is that um, Lisa Meitner did not go to Los Alamos. Um, she fled to Sweden, and essentially she stayed in Sweden um, really... She did many other things in her career, but that but that was the end of her work with with nuclear fission. And I felt that the story had taken such a different direction um, that, and many of the other characters are are completely fictionalized. Uh, the the male lead, uh, uh, Major Jack Delaney, who's an interrogator uh, who comes to Los Alamos and 
begins to suspect that she might be a spy, uh, completely fictionalized. Um, so, you know, that they say, writers always say, when you change the name, you make the character your own. Um, and that is what happened. So a lot of the story that takes place in Germany is very close to what did happen with, with Meitner. And then the story that takes place in Los Alamos, which is a good half to a two thirds of the book, um, is, is really my reimagining as, as, as they say. Um, I have some real characters in there too. Uh, J. Robert Oppenheimer makes an appearance, um, and General General Groves, who ran Los Alamos for the military, um, and and a couple of the scientists. Um, but but the 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 bulk of the of the sort of espionage thriller romance story is is fiction. So that's why when you were planning this book and and researching it and all of that you mentioned this in the last segment that that this kind of comes out at a time uh, approximately the 75th anniversary of the uh, dropping of the atomic bomb which many credit with ending world war ii um did you have in mind doing a story about World War II kind of almost for the 75th anniversary? Or did you come across Lisa Meitner and and your predilection for, for portraying strong women took over? Well, it it started <laughs> with the first, and, I mean, it, sorry, it started with, with the strong woman um, angle, I guess, uh, and then it broadened out. And uh, what was fascinating is, you know, that the parallels to today are shocking, not just in the sense of the 75th anniversary, but, I mean, here we are in the middle of COVID-19, and um, we have politicians who are not listening to the scientists. And there they were in, you know, 1945, and the scientists were lobbying and meeting and signing petitions saying, we really have to be careful about what we do with this thing, because this this will change the world. Um, and the politicians were there with other reasons. And I know that people do credit the bomb with ending the war with Japan, but when you start digging in, that turns out to be only one possible reason that the bomb was dropped. Uh, we had already at that point, Japan was pretty much on its knees. Um, we had firebombed pretty much every city in Japan, and I, I actually found a communique from Curtis LeMay, who was the, the, basically the architect of the, the firebombing. And he basically said, um, guys, would you hurry it up with the atomic bomb because there's not much of Japan left to demonstrate the atomic bomb on. I mean, we, they left two cities pristine from the firebombing so they could 
so they had a place to drop the atomic bomb. So there are many people who argue that really the United States had already won the war with Japan, and they were they had their sights on Russia already, and they wanted to show that they had this weapon, and they wanted to show that they were ruthless enough to use it as a way of telling the Russians, don't, you know, just don't come for us. Be careful. Um, and they were, you know, they, the spying aspect of what was going on at Los Alamos was very real. But they were looking for for spies everywhere, and many of the spies they were looking for were spying for the Russians. Uh, and the Russians ended up getting the bomb much sooner than we thought because the Russian spies at Los Alamos were actually very successful. So, you know, that gets into some fascinating areas about our, our, our desires to make the United States, to show it in the best light. And, and certainly, I, I love this country. Um, but, but, you know, when it comes to that decision, there were a lot of factors there that I felt were really worth exploring. Um, I want to go back on, on something you, yeah. you said uh, a, f a couple of minutes ago, um, comparing 1945 to now. Um, are, are you suggesting uh, in, a, in a veiled way that uh, there were science deniers even then? Not exactly <laughs> science deniers. Um, but, okay, I'll give you an example. So, right from, you know, almost the beginning, there were scientists who were meeting, and, and, and basically they were concerned about the ethical implications of the bomb. And they felt that a, a demonstration of the, of the power of the bomb um, might be a better way to go than dropping it on, you know, innocent people. And there's a moment very clear uh, where they kind of realize that the, 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 the power of their own creation has been taken away from them. And nobody cares what they think. And um, Truman who once when FDR FDR knew about the bomb, um, the scientists had had a, a quite a lot of faith in him as a as a humanist. And when FDR died, Truman had been completely in the dark about the bomb. Didn't know anything until he he became president. It's a pretty big secret to find out on your you know your first day at work, right? <laughs> oh, by the way, we have this weapon of mass destruction. You're going to decide whether we use it or not. And um, and and so there was the military. They had other reasons for wanting to use it. And I guess my point really is that with science of discovery there is also the possibility of using it in the wrong way or ignoring what scientists may have um, discovered about the ramifications of it. And so that's, that's where I see the parallels with 
with, say, COVID. It's not, it, it, it's that, and I, I, I'm saying this, I'm a New Yorker, you know, so, so I was listening to Andrew Cuomo, you know, who, the, the thing that he's done that so, so wonderfully is he has just listened to the facts, nothing else about COVID, no politics, no opinions, no, just the facts, uh, you know, and um, so, you know, that that's, science is about facts. Uh, politics is something else, you know, with politics, you have to show your, your might, you have to win a war, you have to maybe win an election in the case of Truman. Um, and so, you know, there's a, there's a moment that happens. And of course, the character of Hannah, who has lived through the moment that the Nazis came to power, you know, she was sitting in a, a meeting at uh, Kaiser Wilhelm Institute in Berlin, which was the premier scientific institute in the world, she was sitting there, and and the Nazis literally walked in and announced that this was no longer a university, was no longer a research institute. It was now a military uh, weapons um, uh, compound, and and that was that. Everybody suddenly, they were all working for, you know, the SS and the Gestapo and Hitler, um, which was when she had to leave, of course. But so she has a point of view on that that's very nuanced because it comes from her own experience. And she can see things happening at Los Alamos that some of the other scientists could not see. And I imagine a simple way to put uh, the difference between science and politics is science is about learning and politics is about winning yeah yeah and and in order to learn you can't really impose your own assumptions about what might happen you have to test what does happen and you can draw a conclusion you can make an assumption but if the if the facts don't bear it out, then you have to throw that away, uh, and 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 that is the art of discovery is going, you know, what 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 does this actually mean? And when when Meitner discovered nuclear fission, it was it was pretty great. Her partner had done an experiment and literally couldn't figure out the results. He just didn't make sense to him, and he. He said at that point she was in Sweden, so he had to smuggle the results of the experiment to her in a postcard via courier. And she just puzzled it over, and finally she realized the only way to account for those results was if they had split the atom in, in half. And so they had generated far more energy than if, if the atom was still intact. But she could only surmise that by looking at the results of the experiment. Um, in politics, you don't necessarily have to look at that data. You, you, you might have a strategy that involves, say, manipulating the data. It's been known to happen, right? Yeah. Politics. <laughs> you, you, you present things in the way that looks the best 
for your point or for your um, aims, and um, and so it's it's a very thorny and interesting question, but they're very very different, and um, and I was very interested in exploring exploring those differences. Um, you so, said you you hold yeah. up in uh, New York to write the book. Um, any any reason why you wrote it there and not in Los Angeles? Yeah, it's it's interesting in Los Angeles. I of course lived there for a long time when my career was getting started, um, and you know in L.A. Uh, you go to the dry cleaner, you meet your agent. Ah, what are you working on? <laughs> you you go to get your groceries. You see your entertainment lawyer. Oh, so what what have you been working on? <laughs> um, uh, once I was about to start a, a big movie. The the movie I directed with Rutger Hauer, the late Rutger Hauer, and um, Natasha Bridgeton and and Paul Giamatti. And my my husband was really, really sweet. He said, boy, you need a vacation before you go direct this movie because you're, you know, you, you need to get your energy. So he took me to Hawaii to, um, uh, I think it was the Four Seasons, but it was like just opening. And I got there and literally my current agent, my former agent, and my manager were all staying at the hotel. And oh, I did God. not get a lot of rest and relaxation. <laughs> and in New York, you're, you're, it's not a company town, you know, and people care what you're doing, but in L.A., you know, you are nothing but what you're doing at that exact moment. It's, you know, you're as good as your last job. And I, you know, I feel an obligation to my agent who works very hard for me, um, you know, to be doing some things that will bring them money. Um, and just having the weight of that when you go out in your everyday life uh, is really hard to, it's really hard to sort of shut yourself away and say, I'm, I'm just not going to think about that now. I am going to follow this story wherever it leads. Maybe that's the scientist part of me. Are you, sort of do you binge write or, or are you pretty disciplined about saying, I'm going to sit down and do so much this morning and then on to other things? Um, so... When I when I get the waves, the the the, the surfers waves, I won't stop. <laughs> uh, I, I will I will write until I will make plans. I'll cancel my plans because I'm in the middle of something and I just keep going. But Jim, I also know. Yeah. I, I need to put another comma here. Can you stick around? Do one more segment. Oh my lord. Sure, I'd love to. I'm, in, I'm, I'm to. enjoying this conversation so much, and it's a real treat, and I appreciate your willingness to spend this much time with me. Uh, but we do have to take a short break if you're listening to us at 92.1 FM in Flint. We're going to let them squeeze a few words in edgewise or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're streaming us, we have a break as well, and then we'll be back with... Um, 
<laughs> Screenwriter, director, and now novelist Jan Lansbury. Darkwing Duck here, and every time I'm in Flint fighting crime, I always stop by the Tom Sumner program. Don't forget, stay dangerous. Darkwing Duck out. The Tom Sumner Program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wacky stories we call The X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. Do you have feelings of inadequacy? Do you suffer from shyness? Do you sometimes wish you were more assertive? If you answered yes to any of these questions, ask your doctor or pharmacist about tequila. Tequila is the safe, natural way to feel better and more confident about yourself and your actions. Tequila can help ease you out of your shyness and let you tell the world that you're ready and willing to do just about anything. You'll notice the benefits of tequila almost immediately. And with a regimen of regular doses, you can overcome any obstacles that prevent you from living the life you want to live. Shyness and awkwardness will be a thing of the past, and you'll discover many talents you never knew you had. Stop hiding and start living with tequila. Tequila may not be right for everyone. Women who are pregnant or nursing should not use tequila. However, women who wouldn't mind nursing or becoming pregnant are encouraged to try it. Side effects may include dizziness, nausea, vomiting, incarceration, erotic lustfulness, loss of motor control, loss of clothing, loss of money, loss of virginity, delusions of grandeur, table dancing, headache, dehydration, dry mouth, and a desire to sing karaoke and play all night rounds of strip poker, truth or dare, and naked twister. Warning, the consumption of alcohol may make you think you're whispering when you're not. Is a major factor in dancing like a retard. May cause you to tell your friends over and over again that you're in love with them. Also may cause you to think you can sing. Alcohol may lead you to believe that ex-lovers are really dying for you to telephone them at four in the morning. Alcohol may make you think you can logically converse with members of the opposite sex without spitting. It may create the illusion that you are tougher, smarter, faster, and better looking than most people. And it may lead you to think people are laughing with you. Alcohol may cause pregnancy, and it also may be a major factor in getting your ass kicked. So what are you waiting for? Stop hiding and start living with tequila. Those hands, no matter whose they are, can spread the germs of many common diseases. That's why I want you to realize how important it is to keep hands clean, to wash them regularly and always before meals with Life Boy which not only removes dirt, but helps to remove germs. Teach the children this habit. Form it yourself. Always use Life Boy for hands and face as well as the bath. America, your children have an amazing superpower. That's right. They can help save lives by simply washing their hands. Just 20 seconds of thorough hand washing after they've coughed or sneezed or been outside can help fight against the dastardly spread of germs. Armed with only soap and water and hands, your superhero can protect you, your family, and everyone out there in America land. Amazing! Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council. The interest of goodwill. The Hoffman Beverage Company feels compelled to make this announcement. It's simply this. All Hoffman flavors have that happy taste, except sarsaparilla. We might as well come right out with it. We haven't quite hit that happy, carefree note in sarsaparilla. Now, please don't misunderstand us. Our Hoffman sarsaparilla is absolutely dependable. It's trustworthy. It's loyal. And many fine, upstanding citizens love it. But it just isn't what we call happy. You take our Hoffman orange, it's absolutely rollicking. Our lemon is almost giggly. 
Our black cherry and black raspberry are so bubbling with happiness, they dance in the glass. They all have natural flavor and famous Hoffman Steady Sparkle. We're sorry about Hoffman Sarsaparilla. Why isn't it happy? Well, let me ask you, could you be happy if your name was This is was U.S. Senator Gary Peters, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody. I'm uh, in the middle of a, a, com- a fascinating conversation with a... Uh, a screenwriter, an accomplished screenwriter, director of uh, television and motion pictures, who now has a book, which is a uh, reimagining of the um, race to develop the atomic bomb called Hannah's War. I'm talking about uh, Jan Eliasberg, who has uh, joined me by phone. Jan, welcome back, and thanks so much for spending this time with me today. I'm happy to. You're asking me great questions, which I love. So, <laughs> um, getting back to uh, being holed up in New York and and doing your writing uh, there, as opposed to out in uh, Los Angeles, which uh, anybody who's been there knows is a company town, as you described it in the last segment. Um, but um, I want to talk a little bit about the impact of the pandemic. Um, Had that, had you completed the book before we found ourselves uh, uh, required to stay in and and socially distance and so on? Oh, uh, yes. Um, So here's the pandemic story. Um, March 3rd was my publishing date. Uh, I had a wonderful party um launch party for the book uh my my friends uh tony shaloub who who uh has won about a thousand emmys for for marvelous mrs Maisel and monk and um you know he tony's been on the this show before oh he has oh yeah oh my god i love to i mean we go back to Yale Drama School together, and um, I just did. We're he's he's just great, and he he had read the book, and he really loved. He just loved the book, and so he's been incredibly generous. He 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 threw the party for for the launch of the book. He he and I have done talk segments together on different shows um it's it's been you know he's been a great supporter and i'll have to tell you i mean i was on top of the world i was you know uh, i had done a reading it was a bookstore it was a full house the reviews had been great and i was about to head out on a six-week book tour and on march 10th seven days later I was in Miami, and there were two people in the audience, and I thought, okay, I think (laughs) this book tour is over, and I flew back to New York, and by the time I got back to New York, it was clear that, you know, New York was shutting down, Um, every Everything was canceled. Every date, every reading, every everything. Um, first postponed, you know, because everyone was hoping 
by June it would be better, or by July, and then slowly all the June dates were canceled and the July dates. <laughs> and so that was really, COVID didn't, didn't affect my writing of the book, but it really affected the release of, of the book. Um, and um, I, you know, I, I got creative and I thought, well, let me get online and see what I can do. And um, I'm, I'm hoping, you know, that, that uh, the, the book has been selling very, very well. Um, especially for being released during a pandemic, there's a, there's a lot of books fighting for attention, um, but so far, you know, the book seems to be making its own mark. Um, and and oh my God, I was interviewed by Road Dog Truckers Radio. They have a copy <laughs> of Hannah's War in their sleeper cab library for long-haul truckers who want to listen to something, um, you know, before they go to sleep. Um, so, so it's it's getting out there, but but COVID affected it very very much, and it's in. I thought it might just be released to to a big thud, um, and that was that was that was my fear but i have found in terms of you know the creative process that it's pretty hard i have a new book that i'm working on and actually even though covid gives me a lot of time alone um it there's you're carrying a lot of stress and it's when there are a lot of other things in the back of your mind it's it's pretty hard to just be in that wonderful greenhouse of of nurturing an idea. Um, so it's it, it it's inter- it will be very interesting to see how how things proceed in the next couple of months. Well, there are a couple of things I want to try and squeeze in. I'm having so much time or so much fun talking with you, and I can't believe how fast the time is going. Um, but but I, I did want to ask you about, um, you know, what's, what's coming up next for you. But I also wanted to squeeze in before that, um, if, if the reaction that you get from people from writing a book and interaction with people who've read the book is it is it very similar or very different from the kinds of feedback you get from people after you've done a television series or a a movie it's very different it's very very different um first of all you know a book as a director unless you're directing your own screenplay you know, you you are a conductor. You're, you know, you're hopefully you're Leonard Bernstein, um, but but you have you know somebody else's score in front of you, and your job is to bring yourself to that score and bring out the best in every musician, um, and and you have an interpretation of the piece, but. You know, it's not it's not coming from the bottom of your heart, if you will. It's 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 coming from the interpretive place rather than the um, the, the the sort of creative giving birth place. And so, 
when I when I did a film, uh, I have I've not directed my own work. Um, I've directed other people's work, um, and so the reaction tends to be about more about technique. Um, you know that was that was a that was a great performance that you got from you know so and so or uh what was it like working with don johnson or or um you know it's 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 more about about well why that was such an interesting angle or shot or you know so so it's more about i guess the the surface questions the book it it's about everything in it and all of the things that you know i wasn't necessarily thinking consciously about some of the things that you and i've been talking about but i've been so steeped in my research and my knowledge of that period because i i had to learn so much in order to write the book that the conversations are really about the characters and their motivations and you know that world at Los Alamos that really people haven't seen in you know in that way they've seen it in documentaries or they've seen it in in old photographs but but I take through characters I take you into that world and and I hope that people feel that they're listening to conversations that might really have happened um so so it is it is very it's a different response it's a much more engaged response and what's what's next well i do have another book that i'm working on don't want to say too much about it uh understood because it's early stages um and then you know you asked at some point about do i want this to be a movie um, and let's just say that uh, that's that that that's in early stages too, but it's but it's happening. Well, so. that's wonderful, um, <laughs> Jan. Unfortunately, we are finally out of time. Um, and as much as I'd like to continue uh, chatting. Um, we got to wrap it there, but I always give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about you, about the book, about your other work. Do you have a website? I do, and it's chock full of all of the above. Uh, it's janeliasberg.com. That's J-A-N-E-L-I-A-S-B-E-R-G, janeliasberg.com. It has... Well, you can buy my book through the website. Um, also, it has millions of articles of research I've done and more pieces about different aspects of the book. It has my director's reel. It has um, just, a, it's, it's chock full of information for book clubs. This is a wonderful book club book uh, because there's so much to talk about. And so there's information about how you can get me to come um, via Zoom and uh, address your book club. Uh, there's even uh, a, um, a playlist for for the book that I put together. Oh, nice. Um, yeah. Well, Jan, and, and Jan we've... Music and 
Yeah, go we, ahead. We've got to put it down there. But uh, oh, but thank okay. you so much. This has been an honor and a privilege. Thank you, and best of luck oh, with the book and everything you. else you do. I, I had a wonderful time. Thank you, Tom. Take care. That was Jan Liasberg. Her book is Hannah's War. More of the Tom Sumner program is straight ahead, so don't touch that dial. Don't click that mouse. Hi, I'm Alexander Zonjic. Don't touch that dial. You're listening to Tom Sumner. 